The Old Testament reading for this, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from the book of Isaiah, the 66th chapter, beginning at verse 18. And in these words, Isaiah foretells of the fact that the gospel message will go to the nations. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pol and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off that have not yet heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, that is camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in clean vessels to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading for this Sunday is from Hebrews chapter 12. And just to note, the verses starting at verse 18 through to the end of verse 24 are the basis for the message this morning. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God, our Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come 
to Mount Zion. And you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And you have come to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. And you have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And you have come to God, the judge of all. And you have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise to sing the Alleluia verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, Well, we ate and we drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come. They will come from east and west and from north and south, and they will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, the text for today is from the epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday, from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And at this time, I'm going to read these words again to you. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a, a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, dear fellow believers in him, Throughout the Bible, mountains play an important role in God's revelation to his people. I mean, what are some of the mountains in the Bible that you can think of? Well, maybe you think of Mount Ararat. That's where Noah's Ark stopped after 40 days and 40 nights of flooding water. Or maybe you think of Mount Sinai, where... God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses and to the people of Israel. Maybe you think of Mount Nebo. That's the mount from which God showed Moses the promised land. Or maybe you think of Mount Carmel. That was where God had a showdown or 
through the prophet Elijah with the prof 450 prophets of Baal. And then there's Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is also known as the Mount of Transfiguration, the place where Jesus met with Moses and Elijah and was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And then, of course, the one that probably comes to all of our mind is Mount Calvary. For it was on that mount that Jesus, God's very own Son, our Savior, suffered and died for the sins of the whole world. And then there's the Mount of Olives, which is known as the place where Jesus ascended to heaven. And then there is Mount Zion. It is probably the most frequently mentioned mount in the Bible. But Mount Zion is unique from all the other, all the other mountains that I just mentioned, for Mount Zion often refers to the city of Jerusalem. Because it was there in Jerusalem, in the temple, where God promised to be amongst his people. Mount Zion is also used in other portions of the Bible to represent God's presence among his people, his salvation, his place of deliverance. Mount Zion is often in reference to God being present among his people in their gathering as God's people gather around word and sacrament. And then also, Mount Zion often refers to the church triumphant. That is where the saints who have departed this life are now gathered with the angels and archangels around the throne of God in heavenly glory. In the reading I just read to you, we heard that very thing where Mount Zion is referred to as the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This morning we want to focus our attention on two mountains, both that are described in our epistle lesson. We want to focus on Mount Sinai and also on Mount Zion. Now from these two mountains, God preaches two sermons, two messages, as Luther says. There's the Sermon of Law, which is Mount Sinai, and there's the Sermon of the Gospel, which is Mount Zion. And we need to hear both sermons. We need to hear the sermon from Mount Sinai, which is, brings trumpet and terror and contrition. And we also need to hear the sermon from Mount Zion, which delivers forgiveness and fellowship. The glory of Mount Sinai is visible and it is terrifying. The writer to the Hebrews invokes images from Exodus 19. There we read in Exodus 19 that the Lord instructs Moses to place boundaries around Mount Sinai. And the Lord says that no one is to touch it or they will die. And on the third day, there's thunder and there's a thick cloud and the trumpet blares. And Mount Sinai is enveloped in smoke as the Lord Almighty descends upon the mountain in the form of fire. And the whole mountain quakes as though it's going to explode. And it's there on Mount Sinai that Moses receives God's laws and warnings and penalties should the people of God betray him. Mount Sinai is visually breathtaking and it's impressive. Sinai is touchable in century. It's blazing fire, it's darkness and gloom and tempest and trumpet and voice. God's sovereign majesty is evident to everyone who witnesses it. And that's why Mount Sinai serves as good 
visual theater. But Mount Sinai is terrifying. I mean, look at how the Israelites react to God's presence at Mount Sinai. They tremble with dread. Fear of God actually distance themselves from the mountain because the people cannot bear to hear the word of God, the law of God spoken from the mouth of God. And standing at a distance from Mount Sinai, they say to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. As we stand at Mount Sinai and we hear God's word of law spoken to us, with all of its warnings and with all of its threats of penalties, we too tremble with fear. And if we don't, we should. For just as the people of Israel did not want to hear God's law, neither do we. In fact, we push back against God's law oftentimes, or we cower in the presence of God's law. For you see, God's law promises grace and every blessing to those who keep God's commandments. But we cannot, and we do not, keep God's commandments, do we? We know that all too well. And that's why God's law convicts us, and that's why God's law condemns us. But it's actually for this very reason that we need to travel, that you and I need to travel to Mount Sinai. For Mount Sinai shows us the futility of our self-righteousness. It empties us of any thought that we may have that we can justify ourselves before God. It completely cancels any idea we have that we can save ourselves by our deeds. Now it convicts and it condemns all of us. A trip to Mount Sinai reveals our need for another mount, Mount Zion. Unlike Mount Sinai, Mount Zion is not one place. As I previously noted at the beginning of this message, Mount Zion often refers to the city of Jerusalem because it's there in Jerusalem that God promises to be present amongst his people in his temple. But Mount Zion also represents God's saving presence and dwelling among his people. Mount Zion is seen in the Bible as a place of deliverance and salvation. And so Mount Zion is also often used in reference to God's presence among his people in word and sacrament. And Mount Zion refers to God's presence among his triumphant people in glory. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through a number of readings in the book of Hebrews. And in some of those previous readings, we've heard that Zion has been described as the city built by God. We have heard that Zion is, a, is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, as we heard today. We have if we were to turn to the pages of Revelation, we'd see in Revelation 14.1 that this revelation, then when I looked, there was before me the Lamb who was standing on Mount Zion and with him the 144,000. And so the scriptures often present Mount Zion as the church triumphant, God's victorious people gathered around the presence of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in glory. And it's so very interesting 
is that in verse 22 of our text, St. Paul states that you have come to Mount Zion. Literally translated, you've lastingly been brought to your goal. The Greek verb there denotes past action whose effect extends to the present time. So in some past action, God has brought you everlastingly to Mount Zion. And when was that? When he brought you to faith in holy baptism. Or when he brought you to faith when you heard the word of God and the Holy Spirit created faith in your heart. There you have come. There you've been lastingly brought to the goal. The goal that God has for you and that is to live and dwell in Mount Zion. So unlike Mount Sinai, whose glory is visible and terrifying, Mount Zion is hidden but comforting. Mount Zion is God's church on earth. We worship together with the firstborn, as it says in our text. That is, believers who are born of water and of the Spirit. And though we may be small and isolated, and divided sometimes by race and language and distance and denominational barriers, in our worship of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are gathered together. We are joined together as one holy Christian and apostolic church. Mount Zion's glory as people, as God's people gather around God's presence in word and sacrament is not too much to look at by the standards of the world. I mean, if the world was to peek their eyes into this place at this time, Mount Zion, which we are, would appear weak, powerless, so otherworldly that it lacks relevance for today. God's Mount Zion, as it gathers here in this sanctuary, is seen under the form of struggling, sinning people. It is seen under the forms of hymns and prayers and preaching and water and bread and wine. Certainly nothing impressive in the eyes of the world. In fact, it's deemed as foolishness by the world. And yet this is Mount Zion in this place. Yes, there's more going on in this place at this time as we gather here at Mount Zion than meets the eye or ear. In verses 22 and 23, the writer to the Hebrews states, We have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. I mean, we cannot see the angels of glory, can we? We cannot see the souls of the departed who have departed in faith in Jesus Christ. And yet Mount Zion is where the church on earth communes with the angels and the departed saints in glory. It's in Mount Zion, as we gather in this place, that heaven and earth meet. And we acknowledge this truth, and I've made this point in previous sermons as well. We acknowledge this truth when we sing in the Sanctus, or as we say just before the Sanctus, with angels and archangels of all the company of heaven, we laud and we magnify your glorious name. Later on in this service, we're going to pray that prayer. We're going to say those words, and it's real. The angels... The saints of heaven, our departed loved ones who died in Christ, we join our voices with them. They in heaven 
we on earth. But they come together. Next, we further read in our text that we are drawn to Zion where the spirits or the souls of righteous people are made perfect. I mean, who are the spirits of the righteous that Paul speaks of in our text? Well, they're Abel and they're Noah and they're all the hall of faithers of Hebrews 11 that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And they're all the saints who preceded us into glory. And what a comfort it is to hear that those loved ones who died in their baptismal faith in Christ have been made perfect and they're joined with us in worship. And we are drawn to Mount Zion where there's a communion or a fellowship with the living God, the judge of all mankind. Zion is the mountain of God's provision for sinners. There's no wall, there's no barriers There's no threat that if you were to walk through these doors of this church and into this sanctuary that God would strike you down dead. No. In fact, the invitation is to come to Mount Zion. To come and behold the events of Mount Calvary and Mount Olives from the vantage point of Mount Zion. Yes, it's here that we are able to look and see the events that unfold on Mount Calvary where Christ died for us and for the sins of all people. It is from here that we can look and see from this vantage point the fact that Christ ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns for all eternity. And we're drawn. In fact, God invites us to Mount Zion where there's a communion, a fellowship with Jesus who's the mediator of a new covenant Jesus mediates a new covenant by his blood shed on Calvary's cross. On Mount Zion, God the judge declares sinners innocent because of Christ's righteousness. As St. Paul writes, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. As Jesus, our mediator, intercedes on our behalf before the judgment throne of of his Father, his cleansing blood is sprinkled on us. It's sprinkled on us in holy baptism. It's sprinkled on us in holy absolution. It's sprinkled upon us in holy preaching. And it's sprinkled upon us in holy communion. And so we're drawn by God to Mount Zion where there's a communion with the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ that speaks a better word in the blood of Abel. That's an interesting way, isn't it? To express or describe the blood that Jesus shed. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. That makes us ask, doesn't it? What word did Abel's blood speak? Well, you remember Abel, don't you? Abel was Adam and Eve's son who was killed by his brother Cain. And did not Abel's blood cry out for retribution and justice? Oh, yes, it did. But Jesus' blood speaks what? It speaks for forgiveness. It speaks for reconciliation. In Hebrews 9.12, we read his blood. That's Jesus' blood obtained eternal redemption. In Hebrews 10.10, we read, And by that will we have been made holy, made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
And it's the blood of Jesus that pleads before God with a voice so loud and persuasive that it secures perfect righteousness for us. In the writer to the Hebrews, Paul says to us, this Mount Zion has come to you. Our life as a Christian is brutally difficult. As we discussed in last week's message, our life as a Christian is like a grueling marathon. And during the marathon, we are hindered by things, aren't we? And we are entangled in our sin. And all of these things cause us to grow weary and possibly even to lose heart. I mean, we're faced with the daily challenge of overcoming our sins and wrestling with temptation. We're weird and we're beleaguered by the futility of our inability to live according to God's commands. And ever in the background looms Mount Sinai, where God continually shows us by his law that we fail to meet his standards. And that is why Mount Sinai so terrifies us. But it's at such times that we are exhorted to focus on the words of this text and be revived by the ever-present reality of Mount Zion in our lives. Mount Zion comes to us. Yes, we're wearied now. We're wearied by this world. We're wearied by our sin. We're wearied by it all. But God provides a place of refreshment. He provides us a place where there is forgiveness, life, and salvation. And that place is Mount Zion. And we are gathered as Mount Zion at this time. And so when we doubt whether we're saved or forgiven, we're not to trust our our eyes or our ears or our reason or our senses or our feelings, but we travel to Mount Zion. We travel to where it is that God promises to be with us, to meet with us, to forgive us. And that place is where two or three are gathered in his name as Jesus promises to be present with us in that place. And what does he extend to us? But his forgiveness and love. But even as we gather as Mount Zion today, we await with anticipation and joy the day that we will enter through the gates of Mount Zion to dwell eternally in the city that is built by God, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And there in Mount Zion, we will gather with angels and archangels and with all the saints of heaven. We'll no longer have to see that reality by faith. We will see it with our very own eyes and we will behold with our very own eyes the Lamb, Jesus Christ, in whom there is everlasting deliverance and salvation. Alleluia. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.